0: Uh, through the book of Ephesians and really we're working our way and trying to understand our identity more. And we know that the challenge that we have in life is figuring out who we are. In fact, one of the biggest things that you've heard is uh, when you were in college or when you were going to college or one of the things your mom said to you is that you've got to figure out who you are. You've got to understand who you are. And so one of the things that we did was we looked in our past. That can be very difficult at times to understand your, the issues that might come up from your father's father, the things that come up to your door. And I've put a picture of here of my, me and my family and how my dad, I have issues that came about from my family dynamics, but I also have strengths that came from that as well. And then my story has been generated over time through understanding who he was, understanding who my family was, was. Coming into this world, you basically have three things that are able to craft your story. It is your genetics, it is your culture, and it is your experience. It is through these three elements that we kind of are painters, painting a story, understanding more of who we are, how has God crafted us, shaped us, made us. Who are we? We are trying to understand. It is a long process of self-discovery. And in the midst of that, we want to be able to collect the data from our past. Look at the culture we've been placed in. Look at what we're drawn to and figure out who we are. This creative process of self-discovery. Everyone wants a narratable life. A story that we tell. That when there's an obituary being told about your life, you want it to be somewhat intriguing. Story formed. We don't want random disconnected events, but rather we want there to be a narrative that is painting our world and painting our life, a carefully crafted plot. And we want our story to have meaning, to transcend this world. We love stories. We love stories. (laughs) You look at the storytelling industries. 14 million people went to see a Broadway show last year. 14 million. It collected $2 billion. We'll look at that. There was 1.2 billion people were in attendance at movies, and it collected $11 billion. But we won't even talk about our streaming subscriptions. Amen? 257 people are subscribers. Now, we all know that one subscriber adds four more people, amen? So, who knows what that number really is? But what we're saying is why is it that there's some, it doesn't matter how educated you are, it doesn't matter where you're from, you love a good story because once you hit, your soul hits this idea of in the beginning or once upon a time or as the story goes, the minute you hear that, there's something in your soul that connects to that. That's why we crave sequels. You'd be cracking out on sequels. You'd be like, can't wait to the second and the third. We love it. When we see two b continue, are like, I can't wait. You try to find all the different elements. We love sequels. And you know what we hate? Spoilers. You get mad. You might break up a friendship about a spoiler. If somebody spoiled it. You'd be mad at them for a year because you spoiled their story. It's not even a real story, but it was a real friendship, and you broke it up because they messed up your story. We love that. The tension of a story. We, we, we want that. And you know what we want? We love the, the anticipation mixed with uncertainty. And in some ways, we don't want the story to end. We want it to continue on and on. And we're depressed when the story ends bad. Bad it was like i, get, I invested all 90% invested in an hour and a half and this is the ending and you you feel depressed you'll talk more about the ending than the whole movie or if you were in the if you were in a story and it was good but you really didn't know the point it was like what was the plot it's like i don't really know and you're upset you're like actually upset you're mad but we've all been a moment where you ended up liking a movie like you really got into a movie but you weren't anticipating it like you really didn't think you were going to like it it was 2010 I'm just bringing my kids in to see Toy Story 3 because it's a kid's movie. I hadn't even seen Toy Story 1. I hadn't even seen Toy Story 2. But I'm like, come on, let's go see Toy Story 3. It's a kid's story. This is kids, okay? Not for me. It's for my kids. I was caught up, man. I mean, I'm at the end of the movie, and I'm looking at Andy, and I'm like, Andy, how are you going to throw out Buzz Lightyear And Woody, after all they done for you? Oh, you go, are you in college now? Oh, you in college now? I felt that deeply, right? And this has happened to me on a number of different, I've sat there with my wife watching a Lifetime movie and been like, this is dumb. Midway through, I'm like, no, she didn't. Nickelodeon, Nickelodeon had me caught up, boy. I was, I'm like, I'm watching with my kids, I, I, and before I knew it, I was just like, "Casey Undercover," and I'm like, "All, oh, I'm eating popcorn, watching Casey Undercover." I'm just telling you, a story, something about a story draws us. And, and as we get into the story, what, what you have is a, they call it a protagonist and an antagonist. The root word in both of them is antagonizing. There's, some, there's an angst they have, there's a problem they have, and there's someone who's gonna be the hero and someone who's gonna be the villain. And we continue to see the story wear on. And we're celebrating this hero and we're fighting against some kind of villain. And you, are part of a story. You're you're drawn. God drew you together as a part of a larger story. And you were formed in a story. You were formed for story. And the collective idea that we're trying to bring about is what is your story? When you tell your story, what is the hero that you are celebrating? What is the villain that you're working against? Because you can't help but talk story. Brief commercial break. Good Friday is going to be lit. Amen? Okay, we're going to have a Good Friday service. Good Friday, we're going to be telling stories. Okay? Figured I'd put the announcement in it right at the moment of anticipation. Is y'all paying attention? All right, Good Friday, save the date. It's going to be an amazing night. We're going to be telling stories. We're going to talk about our story. And in the midst of that, you you... In telling your story, the real essence of you telling your story, it asks you the question the real question is, what's wrong with the world? Why is the world the way it is? And how then do you solve it? If the problem of the world is you don't have enough, then consumerism is the story that you're a part of and you're always fighting to get more. If your career, is the story careerism and you're always fighting to get that next level, that next step so that you can be more and have more. And your hero is elite career status. There are some who nationalism is their story. So they want to make America like it was in the past, like yesteryear. And there's others who want to be more progressive and they're looking for a policy to create justice for everyone. And there's some good in that, but the reality is, is that the core problem Understanding the story of the world, understanding the core problem of the world will help you understand who is the real hero of the world. And the core problem that the scriptures tell us is not just a policy. It is not just an amount of resources. The core problem of the world, the Bible says, is sin. Not us sin, sin. Sin that penetrates The lives of humans. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, puts it this way He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, one of the key words there is you. You were dead. Who? The devil. No, you. Your sin. You have a problem. And to some degree, though there are many problems out there, you are also part of the problem. It is very, uh, very apropos. What we want to do is say that the problems are all out there. And though I have problems, I'm not part of the problem. But the scriptures are pointing directly at us and saying, I have a problem. This is very difficult when I do marriage counseling, amen? Because people walk in with a rehearsed understanding of the other person's problem. It is part of our nature as humans to deflect where the problem is and not see internally that we have a problem or we're causing problems. It's part of who we are. We just naturally see the problem out there. (laughs) When I first got to the city, I was driving. I wasn't used to people, you know, crossing the street and just taking their time. So I'd be driving, be driving. You know, I wasn't going to hit anybody. I pray. I promise you, I'm not going to hit nobody. But you know that you get that thought like, you don't get hit. Okay, don't get hit. You get hit. Okay, okay. (laughs) I started walking more. I started walking more. I started walking more. I see the car. I'm like, hit me, hit, hit me. I want, go, hit me. Okay? I like to get hit, right? So either way, right? On one end, on one end, I'm like, okay, you're the problem. On the other end, I'm and I'm, and, I, and whatever role you put me in, I see the problem out there. And that's what sin does. Sin deflects our understanding of where the problem is. The problem is not there, out there, the problem is in, here. And so part of the reality of understanding sin is that we we all want God to be mad at somebody else's sin. We say, Wall Street, look at all the money, look at the 1%. They should be punished. Look at what's happening in Africa. Look at what's happening in China. They should be punished. Look at old Satan and the devil and the demons and all that. They should be punished. Everybody you want justice for, but if justice truly extends itself spiritually, justice comes to your doorstep as well. We want punishment for everyone else except us. And so what the scriptures say is, he says, you were dead. You ever watch a movie and somebody, it's like the Italian mob boss says, you're dead to me. You seen that? Or you get somebody who says, who says, I'm not feeling that person anymore. I'm not feeling them anymore, right? Both phrases are having to do with cutting someone off to the point at which there's no more relationship. Hmm? And so we know that from a relational standpoint, spiritually, because of, the, because of Adam and Eve's first sin, God cut us off. We are spiritually separated from God. This is root in our nature. Our nature, the the basic idea of what we do is we want more and we transgress God's ways. And when we think of this idea of deadness, it actually runs up against the way we understand sin. Because we always think, and this this is one of the hardest things to explain to people when it comes to the gospel, people always think sin is just an action. So we say racism is a sin. Amen, racism is a sin. Greed is a sin. Amen, greed is a sin. Lust is a sin, yes. But those are just parts of the problem. People don't lie, cheat, and steal, and therefore are greedy. We steal and cheat because we have a greedy nature. Yes, you do good things, but God is not feeling you because of the heart that we have is sinful. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It is our nature to sin. It is our nature to transgress. It is our nature to deflect. And it is our nature at core to want what we want. I was in a conversation this morning I was at another church preaching and somebody told me about a friend they know. I said, I know him. And they said, well, you know what the problem is, is they, you know, they do this, that, and the other. And you know, they, they, people don't understand them. I said, I understand them. They're going to do whatever they want to do. They're like, well, they want this. No, no, no. They want what they want when they want it. And you can apply it to any area of their life. They are the king of their own life. And they were not willing to submit to the Lord. Now, That can be applied to all of us until someone transforms us. The Bible goes on to say, well, you know, we're talking about deadness, so that might surprise you. But then what Paul does is he gives us the narrative of our lives. Whether you were eight years old or you're 80 years old, he talks about the course that we were on. And so he says in verse 2, in which you previously lived, past tense, according to the ways of this world, According to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient, verse 3, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires carrying out the inclinations of the flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children of wrath as the others were also. I'm not gonna deal a lot with the end part children of wrath, but what he is essentially saying is punishment, that when you come into this world and sin is part of your nature, there is a punishment that comes from that, and the punishment, God says, is separation, not only in this life, but the life to come, and he calls that hell, eternally separated from God. He says, well, well, then how does this work its way in the everyday? Well, that's the extent of it. That's the eternal dynamic of it. But he says, well, this is what was happening in verse two. He says, you were following the ruler of the power of the air. That would be the devil, okay? Now, the devil, I know that that might surprise you when we say the devil, but when we say Satan... Satan's greatest story he wants to tell is that everything is about you. Because the story of Satan, look look what it says in 1 Timothy 3 and 6. It says, it's talking about elders. He says, he must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. And the story of the devil is not just horns and a tail and a pitchfork. It is Pride, pride, it is a proud heart. It is a heart that cannot be redirected. It is a heart that always wants what it wants. And what it says is they were following the ruler of the power of the air. And it says we too previously lived them in, it says fleshly desires carrying out the inclinations of the flesh. What is the inclinations of the flesh? It's doing what I want, when I want, how I want. All that, right? All that. And we feel that. That self-centered human nature. The human heart essentially works 24-7 constantly looking at how will this benefit me? How will this work for me? What's going to be for my benefit, my happiness, my glory, my power, my reputation, my comfort, my control? How's this benefit me? It's about me. And... Here's why this is hard for people to understand this. Because self centeredness, of course, can make you a cruel person. Of course, self centered people are mean and they don't move. When they see somebody older on the train, they don't get up. They see a pregnant person, you know, get in there and, and they have a seat and you see them, you're like, you need to get up. You know, you're all about yourself, right? We look at all of them and we say, boo, hiss, you're horrible, right? So those are, those are people we just say are self-centered. They're evil. But self-centeredness makes you incredibly moral too. Makes you a very righteous person. Because everything is about you. You see, you, you you give away your food. You give away your time. You give away your energy. You work in a nonprofit. You're so kind and you're so helpful and you do all things, but we're doing these for the sake of self-justification so that we can look like a good person in our own eyes. So we can tell ourselves that I am a good, I am a pretty good guy. But all these good things I do. And it seeps because those Because some of the most religious people are some of the most self-justifying too. That's why you can't just see when a person is faithful to a church that does not tell the story of their heart. It is not just faithfulness. It is humility. Humility tells the real story. You know when you find that real story? Conflict, amen. Whole nother sermon. People see. and, And particularly in the spiritual world, When people are doing good things, wait till there's a question of if there's a benefit for them. You see, when, when we're doing things for God, then it's about him. It's my life for you. I want to do things for you. It's all about you. And, and I pray. I've already benefited from the gospel. I've benefited in Christ. It's my life for you. My life for you. But when we are self-justifying, we are constantly asking, what's in it for me? I was at the airport coming back from Atlanta. Wanted a cheeseburger. was at TGI Friday's. Opened up the menu. The burger looked like God himself made it. It was so beautiful. The cheese was just... The cheese was just laying there like, oh. And the bacon, the bacon was just like, come, come. This is your time. And they had like this, this like, this sauce and it was just dripping off. It was just dripping off. And the bread, the poppy seeds were just pop, 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 pop. And it was just, it was just alive. It was just alive. I opened it up and it was just like, James, this is your moment. I was like, I like you too. And so I see this cheeseburger and I'm like, this is what I, and so I get the waitress and I'm like, waitress, this is what I need. I like this, this, I like this, this cheeseburger. Thank you. And she says, okay, no problem. She goes and she brings back a burger. (laughs) And first of all, when she came over, she was like, oh my God. She kind of just set it down. And you know when they asked the question, like, do you, do you need anything else? I was like, I'm looking at this thing and the cheese, remember how the cheese just looked like it was like, this cheese was like, I'm tired, I'm sure. <laughs> Woo! Oh. I just, I just came here. And the bacon, the bacon was just like, <coughs> <coughs> It was a mess. I was like, and the bread, there was no seeds on it. It was just bread. It was just wheat. I mean, it was so, it, I, I, highway robbery. I'm just frustrated. So I, I, so I opened up the advertisement. And she's just looking at me like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I'm just, and I just give her a look. I'm like, you know what's up, right? False advertisement. And so she says, would you, would you care for something else? And I was like, Yes. No, this is the trip. She was like, "What else would you like?" I was like, "I'd like this burger right here, the one I thought I was gonna get." Boy, she runs back there. She's just like, "Y'all get the cheese, they getting cheese, ba 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 boom." I feel like they went and got a pig. I mean, the the bacon was just amazing the bacon was just wavy and was, so I come back the seeds are like pop, pop 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 and they're coming back and they look and I'm just like oh my gosh this is amazing and she was like is that good for you I was like yes 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 thank you so the woman checked on me I feel like every 30 seconds she was I was I'm just sitting there like oh she's like is it good I was like I haven't bitten it yet thank you <laughs> she's oh, you good now before this this woman was chilling Wasn't thinking about me, but now she's checking on me. She's checking on me. She's checking on me. She's checking on me. me. And I'm just like, okay, babe, it's okay. And the real issue wasn't me. It was that tip. She wondered if her tip was in question. And really, her obedience was conditioned based upon the tip. It wasn't that she was just serving me, but she wanted something in return. And so in reality, the minute she thought, I won't get what I thought I could get, you saw her service increase. And the fact of the matter is, many of us don't want Jesus, we want a tip. We, we want heaven as a tip. We want, we want a reputation as a tip. We don't want Jesus. We want to get the kind of acclaim and fame of righteousness and self-works. And this is the thing. We serve God, not because we're working for something, because he worked on our behalf and he died on the cross for our sin. What I used to do back in the day, I don't do it now because my financial situation is different. What I used to do was I used to literally give a a heavy tip before the waitress started. It was amazing. I'm like, hey, come on over. I'm gonna order this, this is, here you go. I give him like a $20 tip, $25 tip. Boy, I get the best service you ever seen. It's just like, you like some water? I'm like, yeah, you like lemons? You want lemon in your water? What else you need? You need a straw? You need two straws? And they get real excited. Why? Because they were working from already having something, not working for something. We work from victory, not for victory. God has already done the work. We're not working for a tip. If, if there was anything that's happened, Christ has already done. So we already are celebrating as we serve. We are not justifying ourselves. And so look, look what he says. He says that we have these inclinations, these desires. That, that, that word inclination is cravings. That's sin. In a nutshell, we have these cravings, these impulses. Sometimes people think what they crave is good for them. If you feel it, you ought to have it. Because I crave it, it must be real. In other words, that's why we have to be very careful about this concept of your truth. Because a lot of times the phrase your truth is just another way of just saying, do what you feel. And what you feel oftentimes is an inclination and a feeling that is not necessarily bent towards God. Our feelings are wild. And our feelings, our cravings are not always true to us. This is why many of us we work so hard to get our way because we've always said, I'm just going to do what's true to me. I'm going to do what I feel. And you, you let, you, the barometer of righteousness is your internal feeling, like all your feelings on the inside. Not, not an external righteousness, but what I feel on the inside. That's why some of you are just really bad to be in community. You're hard in community because when you, when you want your way, you want your way, you want what you want because you feel it on the inside and feelings have always got you where you are now. But it has also destroyed some relationships. James 4.2 says, you desire, you do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and wage war. He says, you do not have because you don't ask. But before he says, you desire, you don't have, what do you do? So you fight. You want what you want. And when you can't get your way, you you do not know what to do because you're always following your inclinations. And the presumption is righteousness derives from the inside of us. Therefore, if I feel it, it must be right. And the gospel is much different. The gospel presumes that there is an alien righteousness, a righteousness that's outside of us, that we need to look to someone else to know what's right to do. as i you know i go to a cigar bar every friday and i get into these interesting conversations and they're like doc you know i'm i'm now rev i don't even know if they know my name rev you know what i'm saying you know you just got to do what you feel i'm like well that's not necessarily the case i mean you know if i feel it i got to do it if i feel it i got to do it i'm like well that's not necess- that's not always true i mean there are some things you feel that you shouldn't do and you know you shouldn't do it. And even when you were young, you knew that there was always an, a righteousness like, kind of outside. He's like, what you mean? I was like, okay, well, remember growing up, um, you were like watching a movie with your parents. And you're just like, oh, this is the good part. I was like, oh, mom, this is so fun. And then like, like a low-key sex scene comes on, and it's just like, oh, Martha. Uh, and you're just like, oh, um, Anybody want some popcorn or something? <laughs> right like Oh my god. Now you know. If they weren't there, you would have watched that thing rewound it. What? Okay. And I was like, I love you to memorize the whole thing, but your mom was there, you were just like <laughs> ill. 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 That's nasty. That's nasty. Because you knew there was a righteousness outside of you. And the thing that you couldn't stand wasn't just the concept of mom, it was her presence. It was her eyes. Your will didn't change. Their eyes were staring at you. You felt their presence. And your will was still the will. Your will was broken for someone else. And that's what changed you. It was the power of someone else. It was the power of someone outside of you. It was not what you felt on the inside. It was someone on the outside. And if you keep rejecting that mother, there a, comes a time where she's got to cut you off because you can't watch that stuff in my house. That's who, that's the story of humanity. That's the problem. The problem is at our core, We are self-serving, self-righteous, self-justifying. We are constantly putting ourselves central. Even the people that are the most benevolent still have self at the core. So what happened to humanity? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, but... God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in our trespasses, you are saved by grace. We're going to deal with grace next week. But he says, This is what happens. You were were selfish and you were doing your own thing and God stepped in and rescued your life. But God, whenever you see the word but in in, in writing, it's a contrast. Something changes and shifts. It changes. If there is no but God in your story, then Jesus can never be the hero of your story. So it was 1997 and my whole life, I had been told I was fast for my size, my whole life. Even though I was a preacher's kid, I just knew that I was a good athlete, if nothing else. Horrible in school. Never paid attention in class. But everybody told me, James, you're going to be in the NFL. So I wouldn't go to class. I would chill in the lunchroom. And then one day, I looked on TV and I saw a guy named Reggie White. Defensive tackle. He was played for the Eagles. They're a team. Don't worry about them. But he went on, he went on to the Packers and I just loved the way he played. And so my heart attached to his story because when we're young, we naturally attach our hearts to heroes, to people we want to be like. They're legends to us because we want our story to be like theirs. And so I said, man, Reggie White, I'm going to be like him. And so I I work out, I work out, I work out, I run, I train. And then I finally get this moment, what they call a pro day, where a team comes to your campus. And there they test my 40 time and I'm running, I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. And I pull my hamstring and I fall down to my face. I can barely get up. And I just remember thinking, this was my moment. My coach says, you can, man, you can try out for the NFL next year maybe if you just train all year. I go back to the weight room, limping, limping. And while I'm in the weight room, one of my boys is like, yo, we're going to the club tonight. Drink, smoke a little. And I was like, all right. I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this football thing. And before I know it, I'm in the club every night. I'm in the club every night. I'm in the club every night. And my boy looks over and he says, Yo, man, you big dude, man, why don't you start bouncing here? I'm like, Okay, so now I start bouncing. And now, now I'm walking around with these thugs. I'm, I'm nothing but a suburban church kid, but I'm walking around with my hat down, like, Yeah, you know, just like. And, 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 and it's taken me over. It's taken me over because, you see, I, I was I was a person with no story. I didn't have anybody to attach my story to. So now I attached my story to these guys, and I, I guess I should be like them. And I'm walking around. One night, a girl took a picture of us right before we went to the club. We were getting smoked out drinking. We were trying to look hard. If you know these other two guys, I'm sure they're great guys. I don't know what they're doing now. You can't see it, but my eyes, bloodshot red. Every night, every night, that was my story, every night. Slept with who I wanted to, went to the club all the time, went just going, going, going. And what's funny is as I became a Christian, I would tell this story. There'd always be people in the crowd like, see, you needed to get changed because you was a mess, that's right. Yeah, I was, I was getting high on drugs, but some of you were getting high on your career. See, drugs and club was just a story I was following. It was what I craved, I longed. And I remember February 23rd, 1998, I was so lonely, I was so lonely, I was so lonely, I was so lonely, so lonely. I I had done everything I was big and bad enough to do. I... You know, you, you see certain girls and, and you get a chance to be with them and you think, I made it. And my name was known on campus and I was doing everything I wanted. Everything I wanted. February 23rd, 1998. I was sitting in my room and I still can't explain it. As I sat there looking out the window, and I just felt the presence of God, and I just began to cry, and I just began to cry out to God, and I was like, God, I don't know where I'm going. Like, help me. Are you real? Help me. And the Lord led me to a Bible study, and my life was forever changed. He stepped in. I don't want this to be the story for my daughter because sometimes we think Christianity is showing a huge transformation. So, you know, tell the story. Yeah, James, tell the story. You were smoking drugs. Yeah, t- t- add some crack to it. You know, just make it, make it real. You know what I'm saying? You were selling the drugs. Not really. Well, say you were selling it, you know. Add to it because we want to show. We want to bring glory to God. So we want to contrast. The point of a great story isn't that it's contrasting. I don't want my daughter to have to go through what I went through. It is not just showing this contrast. It is an encounter. It is an encounter. It is when you encounter Jesus. It's not that I just had this horrible life and a good life. I encountered Jesus and he transformed my life. It is an encounter with the Lord. And it is only at the point in which in the story that, but God, that's when it transitions. When you tell your story, Do you know the problem? It's sin. Do you know the hero? It's Jesus. Jesus is the hero of our story. And he steps in. And you naturally use but all the time. You say, I need to work out, but I'm tired. I need to get healthy, but I lack (laughs) self-control. I got friend issues, but I don't like confrontation." And the more that you place the but I in there, you put yourself in a position for an excuse or you you try to get yourself out of the reality of what God can do. But when you say but God, it changes everything. When I point to you, y'all say but God, all right? That was so weak, so weak. Only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark and the water surged on earth 150 days and there was all this water remembered Noah and all the wild animals. You intended harm for me, intended it for good. My flesh and my heart may fail is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You killed the author of life. Raise him up from the dead. We are all witnesses of this. But God, but God, God changes the story and He changes our story. And the story of your life has a but God in it. Don't miss out on telling the world, but God. Father, we thank you right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. You are the King of our hearts. And tonight, Tonight, we want to know you more. Would you you draw us more into your presence? Would we all have that but God moment that transitions our life and gives you glory? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, if you can stand with us. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com.